for those that are tuned to disruption, uh, like myself, uh, don't, you know, do disrupt, but disrupt with precision. Like, don't try to solve all the things or try to change all the things. Figure out your why and then be precise about, like, what you what you actually want to to improve and then make incremental steps along the way. I'll go back to we're four years on this journey. everyone, I'm Clarissa Lucas. And I'm Bill Benzing, and this is The Control Freaks. So, like every episode, I think we have amazing folks that come on. But today, I'm really excited about the John Deere team that we have here. And so Clarissa, I, Clarissa and I have watched the John Deere team, specifically Matt and a couple others, uh, talk about their transformation at John Deere. And what I think is very interesting about John Deere is one, like, you know, it's, I don't, people think people know this, but Matt, Roberto, Lynn, is the furrow, does John Deere still publish the furrow? They still do publish? Did you know John Deere is the oldest content marketing firm in the world? It's like the, the furrow was originally published in the, eight, well, the late 1800s, and that's how John Deere sold. So I think it's really interesting if you look at the history of John Deere and sort of being up with the times. They're like one of the original content marketers in the late 1800s when content marketing wasn't a, a term. And they've gone from, you know, tractors to now a big tech company. And I don't, I don't want to steal the thunder from, from, uh, from our folks here today. Uh, but yeah, really excited about this one because during their transformation, they've also considered auditing. And there's probably a lot of people here listening to this, like what does John Deere and regulations and that kind of stuff have to do with each other? So uh, we'll get into that. But again, I can always be long-winded. So what I want to do is get to some introductions. Uh, so Matt, Roberto, Lynn, I'll let you all fight for who wants to go first. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your, your role at John Deere. Awesome. Well, thank you, Bill and Claire said um, for having us. It's, it's exciting. Uh, my name is Matt Ring. I'm a senior product and engineering coach in our uh, IT strategy and transformation organization uh, at John Deere. Um, I've been in IT for about 18 years now. I started in software, uh, software development. I consider myself a recovering software engineer at this point. <laughs> um, I've been a coach for the last uh, 10 years or so. And then with John Deere, uh, I've been with John Deere for about the last four years now. Nice. All right, I'll go next. My name is Lynn Vestold. I am the director of IT internal audit here at John Deere. I have spent my whole career here at Deere, so more than 23 years. And I've done a variety of roles in our IT organization, our cybersecurity organization, and I just joined the internal audit team about nine months ago. So. I, I think it's pretty exciting. I'm able to say that I've worked in all three lines of defense here at John Deere, which I think I can use that term with this audience. Um, so, so that's me and my role. Yeah, thanks, Lynn. I'm Roberto. Also excited to be here with all of you today. I'm a technology audit manager reporting to Lynn. Just celebrated 25 years at Deere, like Lynn, a career uh, person here at John Deere. Started my career in IT operations, running the 24/7 operations there. And as an infrastructure analyst, did that for about seven years and then discovered audit uh, around 2005. And I've, I've stayed in internal audit since. I started as an IT auditor, moved into different levels of responsibilities as a supervisor, team lead, now audit manager, reporting to the director. So uh, pleased to be here. Um, my team primarily focuses on SOX audits, SAP audits, advisory reviews, and generally cybersecurity audits of our tech stack around the company. That's awesome. 
Well, thanks for being here. Really appreciate having the three of you on the show with me and Bill today. Can you tell us something um, about yourselves or about John Deere that the listeners might not already know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Bill mentioned a little bit earlier. So, you know, we've been around for a while now. Um, uh, John Deere, we were founded in 1837. So we're 186 years young. Um, a lot of people know about us for our for our green tractors. But, you know, the first product that we had was a steel plow um, pulled by horses. So we, uh, uh, you know, and then the automobile industry and the industrial revolution came along and that was a big disruptor. And we pivoted towards the um, tractors. So we are definitely no stranger to technology disruption uh, in the industry. Um, a lot of people know about us for our green tractors, but we make products and solutions for, for farmers, construction workers, for, for golf courses and, and, uh, and for households. Um, we're a global company. We have over 100 locations across six continents. Um, and then another thing I think that's interesting, uh, some people, especially that maybe haven't uh, been you know, grown up in a farming area or farming areas uh, is um, the, the degree of technology that actually exists in, in farming. Um, people might think like farming is a fairly low tech type of thing, but there's a lot of a lot of technology and innovation that happens into that. So um, and so as far as John Deere goes, you know, we talk about, you know, applying technology and innovation, not just for the sake of technology innovation, but to have like real purpose and real impact. Um, so you know, just one example that we have is our, um, you know, we have sea and spray technology. So our sprayer equipment. Um, so when when farmers need to you know spray herbicides, pesticides, et cetera, chemicals on their fields, um, you know, we've leveraged uh, machine learning, robotics, cameras, that are mounted on our sprayer equipment that can go as you're going along the field to say, and, and for each you know row crop, be like, is this a weed? Let's spray it. If it's a plant, I'm going to skip that. Wow. So it's it's applying that technology um, again with purpose. There's real <laughs> impact that there from an environmental standpoint of less uh, chemicals going into the groundwater, ground into the into the uh, land. Um, there's an economic benefit for folks in terms of they have to spend less on their um, on their product, on buying more products for uh, for equipment. That's just one example um, of, of a myriad of, of examples where we're infusing technology and innovation into um, uh, our products. That's awesome. And, you know, when you said that um, John Deere is a technology disruptor, that's not, if you were to ask me before this to list companies that I picture as in that category, I would not have listed John Deere. Um, so I, I love that that's something that yeah, I mean, I, I do live I live across the street from a cornfield, and the other side is a soybean field. So we see the tractors all the time, um, but never would have thought, oh, this is this is a tech company, and there's a lot of tech uh, out there yep. with with those machines. So that's really awesome. Yep. You think about the, I mean, cars as a as another example. There is like, car is pretty low tech, right? You just it just takes you from point A to point B, but all this software and technology that's in our our vehicles, mm -hmm. the same type of thing applies to. Uh, farming equipment to construction equipment, all of those things. So. That's awesome. I awesome. Um, so tell us about the transformation that you're going through. It seems like 2019, you start a bit of a digital transformation. Uh, can you share with us a bit of your journey there? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the, you know, I talked about the, the example I shared before was, was really technology that's infused into our, 
our actual, you know, our, our consumer products and services. But we have, you know, a number of a, a large digital presence as well. The digital experiences that we have, that our customers, our dealers have, um, goes beyond just the the equipment that's out in the field or on the construction construction site. So one of the things that we really invested in, uh, you know, over the last uh, three four years now, basically starting since 2019. Uh, we made a big uh, initiative, a big investment into um, transforming our digital uh, experience and our digital IT teams. Um, and so that was really, again, it was a three-year effort. We started in 2019. The scope was about 500 global technology teams. Um, we were shifting from uh, you know, IT projects to more stable product teams, um, funding products instead of projects. Um, we were adopting new agile and these DevOps ways of working. Uh, we were also investing heavily into not just the, the process and the structure piece of it, but also in the cultural aspect of it. So how do we uh, enable a, an organizational culture that uh, is more uh, leaning in towards uh, higher transparency, continuous learning experimentation, psychological safety, um, all of those things that really help us sustain these new ways of working. Uh, the transformation, you know, we it wasn't a big bang day one. <laughs> uh, uh, all 500 teams, all 4,000 plus professionals uh, are you're now agile. Yeah, go ahead. Um, it was really an iterative and incremental approach over those three years. Um, so we were taking thin vertical slices of our organizations through uh, these new ways of working. We were uh, coaching and pairing and mentoring um, very actively uh, across all levels of the organization. So it wasn't just coaching the teams, it was coaching the teams and the middle leaders and the senior leadership, that whole uh, vertical slice there on these new ways of working and making sure that we were uh, having success there. Um, and Matt, real and then quick, just, quick yeah. clarifying question. When you say the organization, do you mean the technology organization or do you mean broadly the the whole enterprise? Yeah, thank you. So that is definitely the focus was on the technology organization. Okay. Uh, our global IT organization, uh, where we have some friends here in internal audit where it wasn't, you know, just scoped to the technology organization, but it definitely bled out into other parts of the organization uh, in terms of how do we work together and coordinate uh, that we're absolutely going to talk about in this interview. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that was our that was kind of our, our three year, our three plus year journey. That's awesome. And you teed me up perfect for this. So you you hinted at it. Um, what was the impact of this digital transformation on the IT internal audit? Um, and one of the questions that I love to ask is, what problem were you trying to solve with that move to more agile DevOps ways of working um, within internal audit? Yeah, so thanks, Clarissa. So as we started to learn about the technology changes coming out of IT, we had an imperative coming towards, so we had IT leaders coming to our chief audit executive saying, audit needs to think about changing the way we audit. Um, so first of all, the restructuring that was happening, our auditable entities were moving away from just unit and factories and branches to really looking at the product technology stacks that were forming. So we had business capability areas we had to think about. So. That was one thing. Uh, we also just had to learn. We had to step back and ask questions about what is agile? How does it affect the IT CICD 
uh, pipeline, the change management, all these controls that we typically test in the waterfall age is now changing. And, you know, down the road, we have to think about our external auditors and partners as well. How do they get comfortable with these changes? So just asking a lot of questions, a lot of meetings, bringing in IT, bringing in thought partners from the first and second line to start having those conversations and inviting our, our external audit partner later to get alignment as well. So a lot of alignment, a lot of conversations. Um, and I would say too, you know, for example, one of the problems we had to take on is uh, aligning our controls, so segregation of duties, for example, as we brought in fully stacked teams, the DevOps teams that have the ability to develop and promote. Well, how do we uh, how do we comply to that in agile and still meet audit imperatives and audit objectives and pass you know audits? So a lot of good conversations there, and I can go into that here later in the conversation. But um, the other thing we had to do as a team is training. So you know the IT organization had this sort of dojo organization where they were producing experts right around agile, agile coaches, scrum masters. So we were able to leverage that resource. They were very kind to come and help us get started. So training basic scrum for teams, getting the teams to understand the principles of agile, that was sort of baseline foundational. Of course, a lot of this was happening during COVID. Uh, if you recall about <laughs> April, March of 2020, we're starting to work remote. Uh, as this is happening, we have this great opportunity to bring in sort of these intentional ceremonies, learning about daily scrum and, and bringing those in. But that comes a little later. We're still learning. One of the basic things is just having a team agreement, right? So starting with that, creating that safe space to talk about, do we want to do this? What time do we want to meet every day? You know, just starting with that basic, basic stuff there. Um, the other benefit I'll say is just learning the common language. So as we're training and learning about Agile, we're going to be interviewing uh, these product teams. We have to speak their language. It was very important for us, and that was a motivator. The audit team started to see that the value in speaking the language of understanding what demos are, daily scrum, retrospectives, all of that was uh, uh, supporting <clears throat> their growth, but also it's going to create a better working relationship with our new uh, newly reorged IT uh, structure and, and stakeholders. <clears throat> so um, there was sort of an evolution, right? We, to get started, uh, we didn't have a budget to have a, a scrum master and things like that. So one of our audit supervisors volunteered to wear the scrum master hat and we agreed as a team to try it out, right? We started with scheduling a daily scrum. And I tell you, just that one step, creating that intentional daily meetup during COVID when we were working in isolation really helped build um, confidence and excitement around uh, this try, if you will, that we were doing as a team. And I tell you, I think it was a lifesaver. During, it came at the right time for us. So it, it kind of worked out. Um, and here we are a year later, we actually brought in a scrum master full time to to help lead those uh, ceremonies for us. <clears throat> I want to ask a quick clarifying question. Um, when what does you, you gave some examples there, but if you had to describe agility in internal audit at John Deere, uh, I know you mentioned originally doing waterfall and now we've got scrum masters, but if you had to briefly describe what agility looks like for John Deere internal audit, how, how would you describe that? 
Sure. It's definitely not one size fits all. So we don't prescribe to a certain, it's more of a hybrid. I would say we took bits and pieces that make sense for what we do. So, and it can vary to audit, right? So Mm -hmm. what we were finding is many of our IT audits were around a four week period anyway. And as as we were looking at the literature from the big four firms, there was a lot of literature coming out about agile auditing at the time. And we're like, you know, um, let's look at how we plan the audits, you know, bringing in the stakeholder uh, weeks before, because we realized we can't just show up. Uh, they're planning sprints. They have capacity built in. We're going to be seen as a disruptor if we just come in and, and without uh, organizing and, and, you know, giving them heads up and things like that. So we work with them eight weeks in advance, just going through, hey, what are what's new in your area? What are risks that you're concerned about? We, we want to audit the mission critical applications, right? We're looking at the tech stack and just helping to get buy-in around the scope. So that's the first thing we did um, in terms of being agile. <clears throat> then what we decided to do is let's take the work we do as work steps and build them in as user stories. So there are a lot of, tig- I think, what we call them digital task boards out there. Name your mm-hmm. brand. Uh, they're free ones. And you, we started to organize our work in that way. And we adopted the sprint concept, excuse me, that two-week sprint is what we did to align with what our IT partners were doing. And we realized early, the auditors were saying, hey, we're doing this, but our originally we weren't aligning to the sprint calendar of IT. So just that alignment helped. So when we're talking about sprint two, sprint two means the same to them. And we're organized, we're coordinated. Um, that was very helpful, just having that kind of kinship, that, that alignment. And during the audit in our daily scrums, uh, we are discussing impediments. We're discussing, hey, this isn't going well, or we're sharing things that maybe someone else should know about that might complement the work they're doing. We're not doing work in silos. The work is visible. We're talking about it every day. We're pivoting. If something doesn't make sense to do, we'll pivot to a different control. And so when you say auditing with agility, it's about every day listening, what's happening, getting a sense, and redirecting where you need to go for the day or the next day. And it's okay to prioritize control. So oftentimes our audit leads and our auditors will talk about in the first sprint, we're gonna prioritize these controls. And in the second sprint, we're gonna pivot to these other set of controls. But things can be unpredictable. If we see other areas or other risks that come up through conversations, we can pivot, we're empowered to do that. And so that's the messaging that we have around auditing with agility. And that was a, um, sorry, can I? Go go, go ahead, you you go ahead, Matt, go ahead. And the one thing that I would add with that is, you know, what Roberto was talking about, there was a lot of cultural elements and how we work together and how we approach when things don't go as planned um, that were all under the surface uh, of what he was talking about and things that we really leaned into when we were doing the transformation. And again, it wasn't just for technology, but it was it it, it permeated across the organization. Um, so being okay, not having all the answers up front, being okay, taking smaller and smarter risks and trying and experimenting, being okay when the plan had to change. Um, there's so much trust building and relationship building that that, that needed to and, and was in, intentionally uh, invested in to make that not as big of a, an ordeal. <laughs> 
it's interesting you say it. So, Roberta and Matt, what you're saying, it's like Clarissa, you even write about this in your book and how the auditing team learned how the engineers worked and then went and started to adopt not the way the engineers work, but a bit of that cadence and started mm-hmm. to understand to bridge the gap, which I thought that was phenomenal, Matt. You're talking about under the hood. There's these little things and Roberto, prioritizing controls. I mean, that's like actual just people thinking about what they're doing and not that audits in general don't think about what they're doing. That's not my insinuation, but being way more intentional. I, I, I just, yeah, I had to interrupt and call that because I think that's, that's very critical and key because like a lot of people just, let's, let's do scrum. Let's go get our, you know, our, our board du jour. We'll put a bunch of tickets up there and we're going to go at it. And of course, then like I, Clarissa's heard this, like, you know, agile auditing doesn't work with us. And she's like, well, you got to go beyond agile. But like, first off, just don't get a scrum board. And like, Matt, you've seen this as recovering software. Let's go get whatever board. And all of a sudden you still ain't delivering products. So it's, um, I want to point that out for the listeners and like, especially for the tech folks listening on this and like, and understanding that gap. And I think, you know, to the audience on the tech side, uh, teaching and helping folks, like you've been doing this five, some more years, like helping the audit side to know what it looks like. And like, Matt, you talked about those underlying conversations. So um, I'm going to stop interrupting right there, but I just wanted to point that out because I thought that 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 that's a beautiful correlation between uh, Beyond Agile Auditing and, 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 and what, you, what you experienced at John Deere. Yeah. If I could just add, you know, when I came into audit nine months ago, the thing that I focused on learning is what are our non-negotiables as a team in terms of the work we're expected to do and what are our, you know, what's negotiable? You know, we are accountable to our audit review committee to complete our yearly audit plan. Um, You know, we are, we do have a part of our business, our John Deere financial business that is highly regulated. It's, you know, we provide uh, you know, loans and to our customers so that, you know, there's a lot of things in there that are non-negotiable. You know, we have to abide by socks. That is non-negotiable. But then, you know, where the agility can come in is and where we can prioritize controls is like, where are the areas that are more negotiable that we, that we can, you know, shift around a little bit more? So, I'm, I mean, I'm still working on learning that, but that was one thing I thought of when I first joined here. Another interjection there, negotiations. This is interesting. So I'm going to harken back to Clarissa's book because like I, for the first while, I couldn't get past the first two chapters because I kept rereading them. It was astonishing to me. You talk about negotiations and like a lot of the audit, the bane of the audit process is negotiating. But what you just talked about resonates differently. So I'm going I'm to take this to something around contract negotiations. Before you negotiate the outcome of a contract, you negotiate the process. And so, Lynn, what I heard you saying and drawing to some previous life in contracting is like instead of like – what Clarissa talks about in the book where people always negotiating these outcomes and like things take forever. What you did is you negotiated the process of the audit and on the John Deere financial side. Uh, and let me ask this, like, I don't want to presume, but by negotiating the process, did that reduce significantly or reduce the pain of the other negotiating of the outcomes? I think it just helped us be able to use our resources to focus on where the highest risks are. Right. And, you know, there are things that we have to do and those are non-negotiable and we will do them and we'll do them very well. But for the areas and the resource capacity we have that's more negotiable, how can we use that capacity to focus on the highest risks to the company? And that maybe aren't regulated. (laughs) That's a really helpful question. I wrote that down because I want to start using that myself as well of, you know, a lot of audit organizations were being stretched and we're being asked to do a lot of different things. Um, so 
a, a question that comes up a lot is how do we prioritize our work? And that is a really helpful, simple question to help prioritize the work of what what is non-negotiable. So what, what do we have to do? And then what is negotiable? What could we maybe not do or take a later touch on or something like that? Uh, and I th that helps with the value proposition for internal audit. So if there are things that are non-negotiable, yep, that's where you should be spending your time. And that's probably non-negotiable because it adds a lot of value to the organization to have that assurance there. And the areas that are negotiable are probably not as risky and not as valuable for your team or for Matt's team or whoever's team to be spending time during an audit on that. So I think that's a really, really helpful question for the listeners of asking yourselves uh, as an auditor or as an audit client, you know, what is non-negotiable and what is negotiable and leveraging that as kind of a guiding principle to steer where and to what depth you complete work. So you hit you as you're talking about that steering the work, Clarissa. As you did this, what were the ultimate things that you learned? Like, what were these? What were the outcome results? So we we are better to prioritize, but like, how did that? What kind of outcome and result did that create for the organization and and for the transformation? Yeah, maybe I'll I'll start us off here. So I, I mentioned that, you know, I just joined the IT internal audit team nine months ago. I came from some other areas within John Deere, but so I wasn't there for the initial transformation, all the things Roberto was describing. But, you know, when I come and I look from kind of my lens within the team, looking at how we operate, I see an incredible focus on continuous improvement. I see the team taking on Kaizen's or tries, right? They're trying new things every sprint to try to improve what we do and the value that, that we provide as an audit organization. I see that we create feedback loops. So one important thing we put into place just a couple of months ago is a, a survey process called Employee Net Promoter Score. It's a, a survey that our team, you know, our audit team takes. Uh, we're doing it every every two months, and it asks them, would you recommend your team, your scrum team, as a great place to work to your friends? Uh, and then it asks, would you recommend IT internal audit, our whole organization, as a great place to work, right? One through 10. And then it allows them to give us comments, right? So the, the critical piece of that is that we have uh, what we call our internal audit action team. So it's it's me and our key key leaders. We get together. We review all the feedback. We talk about okay, here's the themes. Do we already have something kind of happening to address this? Do we need to address something new? And then we share back with the organization. You know, here's what we heard. Here's the themes, and here's our the actions we're taking. So that was a critical feedback loop that I see. Um, and, and our whole IT organization is doing that. So we didn't we didn't invent that. We adopted it. Um, the other thing that has been really powerful with what this transformation has done and what I see in internal audit is that we're building an incredibly transferable skill set with our auditors. So we are part of a talent pipeline in, in IT internal audit. We are hiring people from IT and from cyber. I mean, I'm one of those people. We're, we're, you know, they're learning audit and then we see them get different jobs after their time in audit in different areas of IT or cybersecurity. So I, I see, and the agile piece is a big part of that, right? They're, they're continuing their knowledge of learning how to operate in an agile manner through the experience they get with audit. They're learning about key controls and why they're important. And then they're taking that with them into their next position. So that's been 
um, incredibly powerful. I, when and you, you just hit to... on, you just, sorry, real quick, you just hit on a real, another value proposition for internal audit, because a lot of times uh, audit clients will ask, like, what what value does internal audit provide? So we talked about prioritizing prioritizing work so that it hits on the areas of value, but you just hit on one that's not always as visible or not always as, as advertised is being part of that talent pipeline and uh, enhancing people's experience and knowledge about risks and controls and then getting that out to the rest of the organization helps strengthen the organization. So normally, um, I'm going to guess that when you were in IT or you were in the first line, you're, you weren't thinking about things in terms of risk. You were thinking risk, but risk and control that probably wasn't totally in your language uh, every day. Um, so then going into internal audit or even in a second line function where you get more of that experience and knowledge with risks and controls and then going back out into either the business or the technology, whatever whatever area outside of internal audit, you're just better positioning yourself to have that top of mind while you're running the business or owning a product or whatever it is that you're doing and really even further positions the organization for success. So I just wanted to highlight that because that's typically a benefit and a value proposition for internal audit that doesn't get a lot of a lot of the limelight. Yeah, and our our auditors are not only focused on learning about controls, they are getting technology certifications, the same ones that people in our IT or security organizations are getting, right? Like they are, you know, and I've talked to the people who have my job at other companies and recognizing how hard it is to be Mm -hmm. in IT audit, like the skills that you have to have, the, you know, continuous upskilling, it's incredibly hard. And so we really put a focus on our team, um, you know, keeping their technology skills up to par so that they can move on and do the next thing in their careers. And also creates the empathy as well. So seeing what clients, seeing what the auditors go through, auditors seeing what the clients go through, it creates that empathy for each other. And uh, in my experience, helps create those stronger relationships and make things go a bit more smoothly. I love it. This is beautiful. Um, I want to say, like, I am like my 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 leadership heart is going like nuts right now because I was at a large aerospace manufacturer and they had a really they they had these programs where they rotated people through every nine months and like you go through a lot of things where you had and this is on the non engineering side, but that, that that I mean like that right there is how you start to close the gap. Like you don't like you can read about it, you can read the books, you can you know write your thoughts, but until you're in the shoes of the person that's across from you, you don't. I mean, that's, that, that, that's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to call out though, is you talked about NPS. I thought this was interesting. So for the listeners that aren't familiar with NPS, that's the net promoter score. And in general, that's how businesses figure out if other people have a highly like high likelihood of recommending their business to their friends. And what I think is amazing about this, Lynn, is like looking at an NPS, if people are willing to recommend internal audit as a helping function inside the organization, like that, that right there, that's the epitome of success. Like, and I mean, this is a cross that beats us in my head at the time. Like, we're here to help you identify and understand risks. We're not going to be the technical expert experts. That's your expertise. But like having an NP, having an NPS evaluation to an engineer, like if the if the culture is like, hey, how about you go reach out to Lynn and Roberto? I bet you they can help you there. Like that right there, that's that's success. Like that that's yeah. where the infinite outcomes come from. Well, and I want to talk about that as far as like the the impact that this transformation has had from a stakeholder perspective. So 
I think there's been a, a huge culture shift, and I feel, I feel like I've worked here long enough, I can say that, <laughs> um, in that now when someone gets an audit issue assigned to them, it is not this like shameful event, right? Like I remember those times five plus years ago where, oh my gosh, you know, I messed up, you know, I have this audit issue. And now we see even some of our like leaders saying, I'm not afraid of an IT audit comment, you know, tell me, like, I want to know. Yes. So, so, and you know, I'm, it's not a hundred percent across the board. Okay. We're not like perfect and rainbows all the time, but for the most part, we really feel that when we engage and it just makes the overall audit process and engaging with the people we work with so much more positive for, for our team and, and them. The other part of it that's been different, I think, is like a pull versus a push for what we do and the services Oof. we provide. So yeah. I bet I bet you right now Roberto has six emails in his inbox that are asking for his advice about, hey, this is going on. What are the types of things that I, what are the, you know, auditable requirements I should be collecting um, in this situation? So like people come and they ask for our advice and they want us to be part of the work that they're doing. Um, they're not afraid of us for the most part. So that, that's been uh, a huge shift, I think, that, that I'm observing as I've joined this group in, in the past nine months. And I felt it in my previous roles too. That's awesome. <clears throat> Actually, I had two calls this about... morning, Lynn, <laughs> from clients <laughs> I knew and stakeholders. I knew it. Just this morning. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to circle back. Lynn, you mentioned like it's not you know all rainbows and perfect and everything. Uh, a lot of times when, be it internal audit or another part of the organization, when, when we're trying to do something different, uh, we run into challenges. And sometimes that's where organizations and people kind of like revert back to their their old ways of working and what's comfortable. Um, so just to, if you don't mind uh, shedding some light on so that our listeners can see like, oh, it just wasn't perfect for John Deere. Like it did, like you mentioned, it wasn't like you flipped a switch and hey, we're, we're working with agility right now. What were some of those challenges that uh, you and your teams faced on this journey? Yeah, I can tell you about kind of a, a challenge we went through. I was in a different role then. Um, so this was probably in, you know, the 2018-ish timeframe when we were really going through this agile transformation. And um, I was leading a team and I, I have the vernacular now, I didn't then, but it was a second line team mm -hmm. that was, that had just done a very large rollout of some key ITIL processes. So enterprise-wide incident management, problem management and change management. And so here we had all of our first line product teams going through this training and this, you know, intense transformation. And we started getting feedback that, oh, uh, we can't follow change management. What you're asking is too cumbersome. It's too slow. We have to deliver features. We have to be fast. Right. And, and so we kind of started getting that feedback and we're like, okay, wait a minute here. We know how, we all know how important this is. What do we do? And that became a huge opportunity for us as a second line team to partner with the organization um, that, that Matt referenced earlier, who was really leading the transformation to say, okay, we all know these processes are important. Uh, we know that we are, you know, highly regulated in many ways and we have to do these things. So how do we make them fit into these fully stacked teams? What are the roles and responsibilities? 
you know, just how do we, how do we fit these things together? Because we knew that they did fit together. And this is where we really worked with them to integrate into the training, how things like security, quality, key controls were just part of what you do as, as a team, as a fully stacked agile team, it's part of your job responsibilities. And this was again, part of that culture change. And, you know, it's a journey that we're still on and probably always will be, but helping teams understand as first line teams, what their responsibilities are for controls, for quality, for security, and not just doing it because audit and compliance tells me I have to, but mm -hmm. seeing the value that it brings to help manage their either, you know, IT operational risks, cybersecurity risks, like seeing the value that these things truly bring to the digital products and, and recognizing it in that way, not just because we tell them to, although they do sometimes have to do it because we tell them to. If I could just, just and it might be kind of a broken record here in terms of the culture piece here, but it's been talked about multiple times here, but that it absolutely was the, the, the ways that we approached those issues when mm -hmm. we had to, um, you know, whether it was negotiating or, or the teams, you know, Lynn was talking about the teams are saying, I'm, I'm trying to deliver some change, software changes here and, and audit slowing me down or cybersecurity slowing me down or so-and-so is slowing me down. Um, you know, we talked about uh, action teams and being able to raise up impediments. The, the degree of psychological safety that's needed to be able to raise your hand and say, I have a problem and we need to talk about this. And maybe this is not just a, this is a, this is more a systemic problem or this is problems affecting other teams. And then also leaders being like, thank you. Thank you for raising this up. How can we help versus, you know, maybe a, 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 a more negative way to react right. to that, but just the, the level of, uh, coaching and mentoring and, and partnership that we did across all those levels to make sure that people felt more comfortable raising up these issues, raising up these concerns, that leadership was able to, uh, you know, respond appropriately and take action on these things and encourage the positive, reinforcing the positive behaviors. Um, you know, we talked about, this is, this is a three plus year journey that we've been on. It's not happened overnight. This was not a light switch. This, this <laughs> happened over a lot of time, but the stories that we're able to tell here are really reinforcing the the positive benefits that we've been able to achieve by continuing that practice and i appreciate you sharing not only the challenges but also how you've worked through those challenges too because i think our listeners regardless of whether they're representing internal audit or an audit client technology whatever whatever part of the organization they represent what you just described is going to be completely relatable to most, if not all of our listeners and give them hope of they're not the only ones that have these challenges. You all have had challenges that, again, are totally relatable. And here's some ways that you've worked through those. So I really, really appreciate you yeah. you sharing all of that. That's that's really valuable. But 
I like where you talked about so that like I, I go in this diatribe about culture because like everybody's like change culture, change culture, change culture. But Matt, what you talked about there was behaviors. Like the essence of culture is the behaviors we're allowed and not allowed to take. And what you just basically said is like when people talk about psychological safety, that's the ability, like you said, to raise your hand and not feel you're going to be, you know, uh, um, attacked for a question, regardless of what that question is. And so like having, and you talk about leadership, having leaders be able to demonstrate those abilities. Like this reminds me of um, the book, uh, No Rules Rules, uh, Reed Hastings, mm -hmm. Netflix, I think it's Reed Hastings. And he talked about the no, um, no vacation policy and how what started happening is he had to start modeling and making his leadership model it because even though they had the policy and people knew it, when they started not seeing Reed or other leaders not taking vacations, they wouldn't take vacations as well. And so like to reinforce those cultural aspects, you actually have to embody those behaviors. And I think for the leaders listening out here, like all the cultural, you know, culture, 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 everybody hears this. And it's like really what it is, is what, what are those behaviors, as you pointed out, Matt? And then model Absolutely. those behaviors. Say thank you in front when somebody asks a tenuous question. Uh, be authentically generous, Gen, 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 authentically genuine, <laughs> yep. generous too. Authentically genuine. Uh, so, so people model those behaviors because it's, it's, it's. I'll stop there with my diet job. I just I, I love the example you you all gave there because it's um yeah I've, you, 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 I think we've I, I think the the, the industry's overused the word culture was it uh, in the most recent book um was it the uh the, the fit book um Andres how am I am I forgetting his name at the top right fit wrong fit uh, Andre Martin right. Yeah, Andre Martin, right fit, wrong fit. He basically has his premise is like, stop worrying about culture change. Like I'm putting it in my words and let's look at the fit. And like, I feel like the, the fit leads to the culture, the, the culture you want, like you said here with the behavior. So um, yeah. yeah, I want to stop you right there. You're talking about the behaviors. No, I, I, I'll, I'm going to add to it. Yeah, go, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about that culture. So psychological safety. I think, you know, Amy Edmondson is a huge uh, thought leader in that space. Um, and when you talk about behaviors, I mean, those are things we, we absolutely leaned into. Like, what are specific behaviors that leaders, informal, formal leaders that can take into that to promote psychological safety? So modeling your own fallibility. Like, I don't know all the answers here. I need some help here. I might do this wrong. Like, how, you know, that kind of thing. Um thanking the messenger when they come with, with bad news, right? Exactly uh -huh. what we were talking about. Thank you for raising this up. Uh, thank you for asking this question. I, I hadn't considered that before. So. <laughs> awesome. Um, so we were talking before we started recording. You all said something very interesting, defining deployable and automating your controls. Could you... I mean, I, I'm gonna let, I mean, I, I have questions to ask. So of course I have questions, but can you take us and help, help us understand, like, this was very intriguing because deployable wasn't just from a software perspective. This was from a holistic perspective, what it means to be deployable. And I think this is a lesson. So um, yeah, could you all go into what, what does it mean to define deployable? What you, were you doing when you're defining deployable? And what, what has been this impact of, the, uh, of this on your ability to bridge the, the tech and assurance gap and the audit gap? I can start and I will not be able to answer all your questions because we are really just starting on this journey and I'm still learning. Um, but something exciting that we recently started working on is our developer advocacy organization uh, came came to audit. Im imagine that. And they, they said, you know, Lynn, Roberto, we're working on this concept of 
you know, minimum continuous delivery, definition of deployable, and the overall movement to continuous compliance. And they they wanted to know as as they develop, you know, expectations, tools, training for all of our developers and software engineers worldwide, you know, what are the expectations of audit? You know, what would make continuous compliance successful in audit's eyes? And I mean, I will say personally, I was like, whoa, like we're getting <laughs> invited to the table here at a place I I always want to be, but usually I'm not invited. I mean, I'm kidding. We are we are invited, but <laughs> uh, it was. I felt like again a, a testament of the culture change that we've been been experiencing and seeing, where you know people see the value of what audit does and the knowledge that we have, and they want to partner with us. So um, we're we're working. It's very preliminary, so I can't answer all your questions on how it's going to go. Uh, but the the important thing to me is that we're partnering and, you know, anything that, that they do is, is going to be in lockstep with audit. And what can we do in terms of automating um, audit audit um, artifacts, right? Like, what can we do that would be acceptable to audit, um, you know, change management? What could we do? What can we log that would make, you know, make audits easier, right? We have some hypotheses that we want to prove out in terms of this could make audits easier, this could make all of our lives better. There's some low-hanging fruit that we think we can tackle that would allow us to focus our very limited resources on other risks, right? So um, there's a lot here, but uh, I hope that we we have some things to prove out, and I hope we can come back someday with a success story. But um, but it's pretty early. So let me ask. Did, I'll phrase a question a little differently since you're in the midst of it. Is if do you have some burning questions on your mind or anything that like, for example, that Clarissa or myself could uh, like help provide? I don't want to say we have the answer to it, but is there something recently or something that you could think of that maybe we could give you all some advice that could that, that could help you? Either us or our listeners. So that could be – we could listeners. start the conversation yeah. there too because that will be a much broader net to, to cast to. Yeah, I mean, I think we're always interested to hear what other people are doing in this space. So if somebody solved this problem um, or this challenge, we would love love to hear about it. Uh, and I know not not related to definition of deployable and that topic, but the topic of metrics is always something that Ooh. we work on. Like, how do we move from measuring activities to measuring outcomes in the audit space? That's always something that we're looking for different ideas on. Yeah, one if of the things that oh, no, yeah. So what your your question about moving uh, metrics from activity to outcomes? It's spot on and spot on with the noise that I'm hearing uh, elsewhere too. Um, you had mentioned the Net Promoter Score for that. Uh, that is internally, from what I understand, internally to internal audit. So you're asking the auditors if they would recommend internal audit as a place to to work. And these are my words, not yours. So if I'm mistranslating it let me know nope, that's correct um or if they'd recommend based on the auditor's opinion that uh that the work continue again not not your words my words but do they think do they see the value in what internal audit is doing 
Um, I think there's an opportunity to consider expanding that outside of just internal audit and, and you're seeing some of the results of, so if your outcome is stronger relationships with clients and greater alignment between what audit's doing and value, one of the measures of that is like, and maybe it's not a number of times, but you're, you're seeing it and you're feeling it in, you're being invited to the table. You're not having to pull up your own chair to the table. They've got one there for you and they expect you to be there. Like that is, that's awesome. Uh, Roberto, you're, you've had two calls or emails already this morning before we even started recording this from your clients seeking your input on things. Like that is, that's aligned with those outcomes. Um, it's hard to measure those. And again, you don't want to get into like, how many times does a client call me? Like, mm, maybe not the best way to measure it. It's a data point. But considering that expansion of that net promoter score survey to your clients of how frequently would they recommend internal audit to their peers or how many how um, likely are they to reach out to you proactively the next time they have a question or are going through some sort of a challenge. Uh, so that could be that's what comes top of mind. Uh, but I do think this is a question I would love to pose to our listeners as well, because as you're talking to different organizations, some have tried things, some have other ideas. So I'm, I'm curious to see what our listeners say too. Bill, you were going to say something. Now this is uh so it was a little bit of self-promotion, right? Self-promotion, the own podcast. Um, I'll put the link in, but there's an article I wrote on governance engineering, the movement I'm starting, and part of it was metrics. So uh, it, it, for the for the background of the folks who haven't heard about governance engineering yet, the idea was, as I read the site reliability engineering, the, the, the book, uh, in the first chapter, it talks about applying software engineering principles to infrastructure management at the end of the day, and that's where it came from. Well, there's a part three called practices, and in there, they call that they have the service reliability hierarchy. So in the in the article, what I talk about is I basically took about four areas. There's one, one two, three, four, seven, eight areas of uh, product at the top and monitoring at the bottom and the service reliability. And basically said, okay, what can you replace to focus on um, on assurance? And one thing to start looking and I looked at is just like monitoring the basic what applications are we do we have any continuous monitoring of like do we know of our applications are in production how do we sort of create mnemonics like do we have the foundational information that we can identify what we have and i always use the term can a disinterested third party identify it somebody who isn't john deere doesn't have a john deere context could they come in and ideally within 60 seconds. And as you start to move up that hierarchy, you can start to build a bit of the metrics out. And this is where I get to things like around uh, controls. Like you have broad controls where it could be socks or whatnot like that, but then I get to control activities. Have you automated something that looks at like, for example, Lynn, you talked about segregation of duties. Have you automated something that looks at a pull request to make sure the person who is doing the pull request is not the person that's approving the pull request? And as you start to think through some of those things, now you're starting to provide some very clear metrics metrics and a, and a bit of a network, a knowledge graph around that stuff. Um, but what I think is interesting about the governance hiring, what I love about this chapter, and I believe that people aren't highly technical could read it, but I, I'd say I, somebody challenged me on that one because I'm coming from a different background. But the idea is it builds this hierarchy of, of ways to observe a system, broadly speaking, and then think about how you would, 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 uh, would metric from there. But yeah, metrics are always like, like you talk about like metrics are always the hard part simply because, and, and this is always my thing. Some people just don't know what the outcome they want is. And so therefore they find it hard to measure. And that 
in that situation, people just need to start to experiment with what an outcome is. And like, if you've got like you guys, you guys have the, it sounds like you have the culture, the behaviors to like, okay, let's experiment. Like, what do these controls look like? Um, in the book, the investments unlimited book, we talk about uh, red, green, black, red is you got to control control activity. It's failing, right? You got a green, the control activity is passing, but you have black, black means, all right, we don't know if this control applies or does not apply, like there's just this void, this black void of information. So that right there is something to prioritize. Um, and I think even just like taking an application and saying, here's our 500 controls, you know, which ones are red, which ones are green and which ones are black. All right, put the red and green to the side, even though it's red, put it to the side for a moment. Let's address this, this big population of black and let's get them to at least red or let's identify if they just need to be no color at all, like they, they have no applicability. Um, and I think as you start to think that systems perspective, that will then that will help generate metrics. Um, yeah, that's uh, I've been thinking a lot about this one because like as you look at it, a lot of it is like an operational definitions. John Willis will talk about the dimming thing, an operational definition. I think what people lack are operational definitions um, for this. But that's my dissertation on metrics. I can keep going on and on about it. I don't have specific metrics. I just have a way to think about it. So it's like when you go ask a lawyer for, you know, for, for, for advice. I'm like, well, <laughs> yes and no. Um, but that being said, uh, it's just been a great conversation. Um, I like the fact you guys are talking about deployable. Um, everybody talks about the definition of done, but bringing in the aspects of audit and compliance into it. Um, so now that we're toward the end of the episode, I guess we'll, you know, I'll um, actually, let, let's go ahead and start with you and we'll work our way backwards. Lynn, Roberto, Matt will end up we'll end with you in the end. Uh, key, as, 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 as people are listening to this and they're thinking about the same situations you're in, what are some pieces of advice you could offer? But also, if you have a question uh, for seeking for help um, outside of helping with some of the, the metrics, what, what, what would that be? I think that my piece of advice would be, and this is something I have done a lot since I came into audit in the last nine months, is always take a step back and ask, why are you doing something? Um, you know, sometimes you have to be the one to kind of disrupt the, we've always done things this way. And that's also how you learn about your negotiables versus non-negotiables. Because if you ask, why are we doing this? And someone says, because socks tells me I have to, then I say, okay, then we will do it. But it's a great way to learn. Um, and once you know, you know, what your, what your key drivers are, your non-negotiables, your negotiables, you can, you can prioritize based on the highest risks. So my advice is always ask, why are we doing this? Ask why? Yeah. And as an audit manager, I, <clears throat> I'm, I've had to be very tactical, pardon me, in, in terms of how to adapt the concept of agile. So I would say to people listening, start small and adapt along the way. So. For example, in our case, we started with that daily scrum. We started with the team agreement, very foundational. And then later, you can talk about bringing in a retrospective. You can talk about if you do sprint versus Kanban as a team. What works for you? What works for your organization? And it's different if you are working in an org that's large and that's using agile IT uh, that has IT, uh, excuse me, agile, um, an organization that is agile versus not. That's a, That can be more challenging, but there's you can still do it by starting small, manage that. 
And then don't be afraid to build relationships with your peers in internal audit and compliance and security. Also with outside peers, there's so many resources out there like this podcast, like uh, LinkedIn and, and other areas where this is just a hot topic. Um, benchmark. That's what we did. We did a lot of benchmarking with peers through audit council memberships that I'm a part of. And that was very helpful just to help understand. And also it helps evangelize these concepts it really gets you motivated and to try to create that safe space to try and then finally um this doesn't have to cost money right uh ag practicing these agile practices doesn't mean buying expensive software to support uh or hiring a full-time scrum master you can do these things on your own as a team uh just be creative and focus on the mindset focus on different ways of working and making the audit delivery process more efficient and effective for you and your stakeholders. That's got to be the outcome. Yeah, those are really good. I don't What do I add to that? Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe I'll speak to the, um, uh, the, the change agents out there, the, the folks that like to disrupt, because certainly as a coach, I like to disrupt. Um, uh, I think, I think Lynn's talk there about, you know, starting with the why, figure out what outcome you're trying to go toward is extremely important. Um, not just changing for the sake of change, uh, but like what, what are you trying to accomplish here? Um, Roberto then added, uh, you know, start small, but start basically. I think that's extremely important. Um, I would just add into that in terms of, you know, for those that are tuned to disruption, uh, like myself, uh, don't, you know, do disrupt, but disrupt with precision. Like don't try to solve all the things or try to change all the things figure out your why and then be precise about like what you what you actually want to to improve and then make incremental steps along the way i'll go back to we're four years on this journey if you're hearing things like how did they get to where they are we're four years into our journey I, i'm doing math top of my head with the i'm not even going to try on this podcast <laughs> it's four years into the journey uh whatever count the number of days that is <laughs> A lot. Yeah, we don't math on, yeah. this, on this podcast. We don't. I was told there would be no math. Uh, there's not a test. There's no math. Yeah. But that's so summing up. That was a lot of really awesome advice. Uh, I'm going to try to sum up, sum it up uh, and leave our listeners with these. So understand your why. Start small and adapt along the way. Build relationships. Focus on the mindset. Uh, start with that desired outcome, so know what it is you're trying to accomplish, and then disrupt with precision. I feel like that's a that's a t-shirt worthy uh, thing. So, really appreciate the three of you being here, Roberto, Lynn, Matt. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your story, John Deere's story. I think this is a really awesome. Uh, episode for our listeners again, regardless of what part of the organization they represent, to see the journey that you've all been on. And I, I love how you've emphasized that, Matt, a couple times on this one is that this is a journey. It is not a we decided to be agile and then boom, we're agile. It has taken a lot of effort. Uh, and another theme that came out that I heard in this was intentionality. So it was a, it's been a very intentional journey um, that's taken a lot of effort and a lot of care throughout. And uh, I just really, really appreciate you sharing all of this. And our listeners are going to learn so much from this. So Thank with you. that, uh, I'm Clarissa Lucas. I'm Bill Bensing. And be a freak. Not a foe. <laughs>